Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. Real people experiencing real change because of a real Savior. I don't know if you have ever noticed this before, but as uh, modern English-speaking people, uh, we really like the words never and always. Um, As in, it will never snow in April around here. (laughs) Or the Mariners will always come up short. I mean, but if I can get nine inches of snow in April, the Mariners can make the playoffs at least, right? Like, thank you. Yes. (laughs) Some amens. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, Or things like, um, well, there's, there's our friend Rick who's never gonna give you up and never gonna let you down. You caught it first. Good job, Mariah. Some of you are like, we just got Rick rolled at church. Yes, you did. Uh, some of you are like, I have no idea what he's talking about, but it's okay because the high schoolers do and that's fine. Sometimes our never and always is um, a lot more painful and condemning. Like you will never amount to anything. You're never gonna make it. You will always fail. Never and always. And we like words like never and always because we like the familiar. And never and always allows us to believe or pretend that what is familiar, what we have known, will just continue on forever. That'll never happen. It will always be like that. But sometimes, never and always are proven false. And we love to tell those stories. Uh, A little bit about me, for those of you who may not know me, my name is Josh. Uh, I grew up in the Tri-Cities in Eastern Washington. And for the uninitiated, the Tri-Cities is a desert as in brown, like the roads are brown, the the hills are brown, the buildings are brown, which you'd think we'd mix it up, but it's just, it's brown with little specks of sage green kind of popped in here uh, occasionally. It's, It's a desert, it's a desert. So moving, somebody goes, and then there's the wind, which is a whole nother thing. Uh, Moving over here to the uh, west side of the mountains, Um, where uh, beautiful blue sky days like today that uh, are normal in the Tri-Cities. Turns out blue sky is normal in the desert. Just throwing that out there for people. Not so normal here. And the gray and the rain can take a little getting used to. But everybody will tell you that it is worth it for the green right? That's why we put up with it. It is worth it for the green. I'm 20 years in. I'm going to convince myself one of these days. It's worth it. it the green, look, the green is beautiful. It's beautiful. And, and we see and can identify the beauty right in front of us, the, the life, the color, the vitality. And yet I drive through the deserts of Eastern Washington in the cold of the winter or the peak heat of summer And I am struck both by the intriguing beauty of the barrenness and by the life that is in there. Because there are things, living creatures and plants that thrive 
in the desert, in this place of desolation and emptiness. In bigger deserts, more expansive ones, there are these springs of water that erupt out of the ground and around them in the midst of sand and brown and more brown is green and life. Plant life thrives in what we call an oasis there in the middle of the desert. Life springing up in the midst of the death and barrenness. It's one of the lessons, I believe, that nature teaches us about our creator. That God is in the business of bringing life from death. God is in the business of bringing life from death. And for those of you who like to uh, fill in the blanks on the back of your bulletin there, there's your first blanks. God is in the business of bringing life from death. And we're actually very comfortable with this concept even if you don't believe in God. So if if you're here, came along with somebody, thanks for being here, that's awesome. You go, I don't believe any of this stuff we're singing about. This is a concept we're just fairly comfortable with, life coming from death. We see it in the way that buds of life emerge from the ground after a brutal winter. We see a, a seed fall from a tree, cut off from its source of life, And it ends up buried in the ground and disintegrates. It dies. It comes apart so that life can spring up from that same place in the ground. In modern medicine, we are able to move organs from one person who has died into multiple people so that they can have life. Life pulled from death. In scripture, we see Jesus and some of his followers like Peter and Paul take people by the hand and bring them not just from the brink of death, but out of death itself and into life. In the Old Testament, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, we see God draw water out of a rock. Water that provides life for an entire community of people out of something very dead. And not just once, but twice, life from death. We think of death and think of it as a very permanent thing. And we use words like always and never. But sometimes death is the way to get to new life. The thing about life that comes from death is that it is a changed life. It breaks through never and always and resets the familiar. Life from death is a changed life. That seed is growing into a new tree, not the same old tree. The organ transplant recipient has a new lease on life a new story to tell. They are not who they once were. Some transplants even change the way that somebody's DNA shows up. They're a new life. The leaves on the trees each spring are new growth, new life. 
the people brought back from death by Jesus and his friends have a new life and a new story to tell. They were forever changed. Jesus himself died on a Friday and rose from the dead on Sunday and was so radically changed that even his closest friends didn't recognize him at first. Life from death is a changed life. And I want to read at least part of this story of Jesus's death and the life that emerged from it. And for some of you, this story is very familiar. So I'm going to ask that you set aside your always and nevers and familiarity and see what God might do new with the story for you today. We're not gonna read the whole thing. I wanna read pieces of Jesus's friend Matthew's account of what he saw, experienced, and researched. Jesus was convicted in a sham of a trial where politics won out over justice. He was publicly beaten, he was mock worshiped, and he was paraded through town so that everyone in town could jeer or cheer or heap on the abuse. And we're gonna pick up Matthew's story from there, starting at about mid-morning on a Friday. And they went out to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. The soldiers gave Jesus wine mixed with bitter gall, but when he had tasted it, he refused to drink it. After they had nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. And then they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you are the son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then Jesus shouted out again and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, and tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. For Jesus and his friends, for Jesus and his people, the Jewish people that he belonged to, the temple, and particularly the inner part of the temple, shrouded by this veil, was where the presence of the living God resided on earth. And that veil, that curtain was there to prevent the unpure, is all of us humans, from being in the presence of the purity because that would mean death. Because to be so confronted by the holiness of God in our unholiness would be deadly. The ripping of the curtain would mean that the life of God is released out of that dwelling place they tried to contain him into the entire world. The veil is torn. Life is coming out of the death of Jesus. Graves are peeled back. 
life from death. Matthew continues. The Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened. They said, this man truly was the son of God. And many women who had come from Galilee with Jesus to care for him were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. As evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea, who had become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate issued an order to release it to him. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. He placed it in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. Both Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting across from the tomb and watching. And we know that they went home because the next day, so this is Friday sundown, from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown was the Sabbath for Jewish people. It was the day when all observant Jews would stay close to home, hang out with family, remember that God had commanded rest, which by the way, some of us could maybe use some remembering that God commanded rest. So the Marys went home. Every good Jew is supposed to stay home, but not all of the good Jews were staying home that day. The next day, on the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate. They told him, Sir, we remember what that deceiver once said while he was still alive. After three days, I will rise from the dead. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. Pilate replied, take guards and secure it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. It is amazing the lengths that we will go to to make sure that our always and never stay the way we want them to. But our God is in the business of bringing life from death. Very next verse in Matthew. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here he is risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him grasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave from Galilee and they will see me there. 
they touched his feet. They will see him in Galilee. This is not a ghost or some figment of the imagination. Matthew is describing a man who was dead and is now alive. Now this story, as remarkable and perhaps for you as unbelievable as it is, and it is at the very least a remarkable story, this story actually pales in comparison to the effects of this story. I mean, the story of a man being risen from the dead is an incredible story. But it pales compared to what Jesus accomplished, the why it happened. Jesus' follower and church planter, a guy named Paul, summed it up this way to a protege of his named Timothy. He wrote to Timothy, for God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Jesus Christ. God saved us. Saved us from what? Verse 10. And now he has made all of this plain to us by the, appearance of, by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. He has saved us from death. He has broken the power of death. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, the power of death has been broken and defeated. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, death ends Death comes to an end. Death no longer gets the final word. Now look, death will come to all of our mortal bodies, just like it did for Jesus. But death no longer gets the final say. God has illuminated the way to life. Through Jesus, there is now a path to immortality that death cannot touch. The power of death has come to an end. Because the power of death is to make us fear words like never and always. You'll never escape. You'll never live long enough to do that thing. You'll always miss them. You'll never see them Again, the constant impending finality of death is its power over us. But death no longer gets that final word. In the light of Jesus' resurrection, death ends. Scripture is clear that God offers all of us this new life that he has illuminated through Jesus. That anyone who is willing to declare that Jesus is Lord, which just means recognizing that Jesus has power over life and death, that Jesus is the authority of all creation and therefore the authority in your life. Anyone who declares that Jesus is Lord 
and believes that God has raised him from the dead receives this new life, accepts this offer of life, is given an eternal life. That's the path illuminated through Jesus, that path of life. And some of us think this sounds really good, but it can never be for us. Couldn't be for me. We know what we've done. We know how we've messed up. We know how we've ruined things. We know that no matter how much we fool the people around us, we know. We know the kind of stuff that we think and do and want to do. We say things like, God would never accept me. I'm not one of God's people. Not, not like that. I could never be a part of a church. I could never believe that. I could never be good enough for God or those people. Can I tell you, it is possible. It's possible. Anything is possible with God is not just a cheesy bumper sticker. It is also true. No amount of never, no amount of never can stop God. I mean, people are raised from the dead. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, death ends and never also ends. All of our declarations of what will never happen pale in the light of what God has illuminated in Jesus. So what nevers do you speak over your life? What nevers do you believe about you? I'll never be good enough. I'll never amount to anything. I'll never belong I will never forgive that person. I will never forgive myself. God can never forgive me. What nevers do you speak over your life? The good news of Jesus is that those nevers are simply not true. I wanna show you just a little glimpse of what is true for you and for me. Uh, that same Paul who wrote to Timothy also wrote a letter to uh, the early Roman church. And in these letters, we added the, the chapter and verse stuff much later. But just for a taste, I wanna read the first two verses of Romans chapter eight and the last two verses of that same chapter. The whole chapter is good, but I just want to give us a glimpse, a taste of how never has been ended by the resurrection of Jesus. First two verses of Romans 8. So now there is no condemnation 
for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. We say things like, I will never be good enough for God. Like maybe if I get my life cleaned up, then I'll try to show up, but I'll never be good enough. I'll always be stuck this way. Some of us have been doing the church thing for a long time, believing that I will always be stuck with this habit, this hang up, this way of looking at life, this thing about myself I wish wasn't true, but just is. You may condemn yourself with your never and always, but God does not. God does not. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, never comes to an end. You are not condemned. You are not despised. You are not bound by sin and death. When you step onto the path to life that has been illuminated through Jesus. Death is finished and never does not get to be the final word anymore because this is also true. The last two verses. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God has torn the veil and peeled back the graves. Neither life nor death can separate us from the love of God. And it is his love, not just his power, that he put on display through the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God has brought life from death for all of us. To anyone who is willing to believe in their heart of hearts that God has raised him from the dead, the path to life has been illuminated. Because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, you and I are offered new life, a death-ending, never-ending life. So here's the question that I would like to leave with you this morning. What does new life in Christ change for you? What does new life in Christ change for you? Maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time. Excuse me been doing the church thing for a long time, doing your absolute best to follow Jesus for as long as you can remember even. 
but you've got a never statement in your life that keeps driving you and driving you. Never gonna be enough. Never gonna be accepted. And you keep being pushed forward and driven in your anxiety and your fear and your desire to make everybody around you happy because you just wanna prove that never statement true, but the only one acting like it's true is you. Because Jesus has brought never to an end. Because that statement is simply not true of you. Or maybe, maybe you've decided it's always gonna be this way. You gave your life to Jesus a long time ago. Surely if he was gonna fix it for you, he would have fixed it already. I'm always gonna have this hang up. I'm always gonna be stuck in this position. I'm always gonna feel this way. What could a new life, a new life in Christ where death and never have come to an end change for you? Or maybe you're someone for whom a new life in Christ would change everything. The recognizing Jesus as Lord and as the one risen from the dead for the first time or the first time in a very long time would change everything for you. Would change your eternity. Would change your present. Would change your belief in what's possible. God's love for you, like the life he offers you, is eternal and never-ending. And he will always be there as long as you are breathing, offering you this new death-ending, never-ending life. But no time as much as God will be there for all of your time, no time will be any better to step on that path to life than right now. God is offering you new life. If you would like to step into that love and life right now, would you pray with me as the worship team comes up? Jesus, I recognize you as Lord, as the one who has power over life and death. And Jesus, I give you power over my life. Jesus, I recognize you as the one who bought grace and forgiveness for me. That no matter how much of a mess I know I am, that you know it even more than I do. And that you loved me, you loved us enough to die for us. And Jesus, we recognize that it wasn't enough for you to just wipe the slate clean. You wanted to give us something good and new 
And I don't know how you did it, but somehow you got out of that grave. And somehow you're alive so I can talk to you today. And somehow you keep trying to remind me, remind us of just how much you love. Jesus, would you take us by the hand right now and lead us out of death and into life? Jesus, would we know the life and love that you have for us? We pray in your holy and mighty name. Amen. Thank you for checking out our podcast. Find out more or connect online at easthillsalliance.org.